welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 213th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 710th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of May 13th, 2021. I am your host, Brian Tonsoni. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. Oh, Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's banner moment is just a simple reflection on Indiana athletics. The men's soccer team will be playing in the College Cup this weekend for the 22nd time with the goal of winning a national championship again. That would be national championship number nine. The Indiana baseball team is currently ranked 21st in the country and is in first place in the Big Ten standings. Women's rowing is ranked 12th and will be competing in the Big Ten championship soon. Women's softball has won eight out of the last 10 under 23 and 17 overall. Men's and women's track and field, tennis, all are competing. Indiana athletics is having a successful year. Indiana football is getting all kinds of recruits and transfers, and it, it just keeps rolling. And in addition, we are all excited about the new direction of the men's basketball program. Indiana Athletics, moving in the right direction. Okay, let me introduce uh, my esteemed co-host for tonight. Very proud Coach Tonsoni moment. Uh, The three original hosts have all abandoned me this week uh, with so-called important things to do. Ryan is uh, gallivanting off to Hawaii. Andy is presiding over a youth basketball league meeting. And Jared is reading Magic Treehouse book uh, to his daughter to help her fall asleep. Um, But I... I don't schedule anything on Thursday nights. So me, good old trusty coach, who's always here for the chat mob uh, on a regular basis. And you know who else is here? The rest of the Tonsoni clan. Uh, my son, Brandon, who is a manager uh, for uh, Tom Crean at IU for three years. And my son, Brent, who is a manager for four years uh, for Indiana State under the uh, tutelage of Greg Lansing. Um, and so first uh, up will be uh, Brandon. Uh, Tonsoni, he graduated IU in 2018. He was a basketball manager for three years under Tom Crean. Brandon, uh, welcome to the show. And um, how are you thinking about, uh, what are you thinking about Indiana basketball or athletics in general? Thank you. Glad to be here. And first of all, I want to give a shout out to Joel in the chat. He noticed I'm, uh, we have a couple of Tonsonis with hair. So I think I'm definitely the one with the best hair. So shout out, Joel. Um, but yeah, happy to be here. Uh, as far as Indiana athletics, I think, you know, everybody's been saying we're in a golden era of, or a golden age of Indiana athletics, uh, except for basketball. But these last couple of months have been exhilarating and nothing but positive energy. So I think, you know, it's eternal optimism right now. I think we're heading in the right direction. I think the roster is looking good. I know we'll talk about the departure of Jerome here in a bit, see how that plays out. But even with that, I think we're in a good place with Coach Woodson to maybe make a run and start getting some success back on the basketball court. Brandon was a high school basketball player, uh, sectional championship. I'm going to be a dad brag all I can while I got these boys on, on here. 1,300 points. Uh, Brett uh, was a two-time sectional championship at Rossville. Didn't score as many points, but was a great bench mob and team uh, captain, so much so that uh, Rossville High School hired him to teach this year and to be the JV's uh, men's basketball coach. He just completed his first year, had a winning season. Uh, very proud of both of these young men. Brent, uh, what's, what's your thoughts on Indiana basketball as uh, we've made some changes here since the end of the year? 
Yeah, I'm I'm really I'm really excited um, for the future of Indiana basketball and and just Indiana athletics in general. You you touched on it with men's soccer being in the Final Four and baseball having a really good season, women's basketball, and I, I also am just a huge fan of the coaching staffs we got. I mean, like Terry Moore's doing a great job. Jeff Mercer, soccer's always done a great job with that. We have great coaches here too. Um, and if we can start getting consistent um, play on the basketball floor, I think that'll just be the next step with Indiana athletics. But I'm really excited for the future of all sports and especially men's basketball under Mike Woodson's leadership. Okay. Um, here's uh, well, welcome to the show guys. Uh, again, just a proud moment for dad. Uh, and here's what we're going to cover this week. Some Hoosier headlines, including uh, the recent departure of Jerome Hunter. And then in the second uh, segment, the main topic is uh, behind the scenes of division one basketball. We'll be talking about being a manager, uh, what grad assistants do and, and what the player development looks like uh, behind the scenes, something that we don't uh, see as, as fans. And then we'll end by answering uh, your questions as usual in segment three all of that coming up uh this week on assembly call radio uh, before we jump into the hoosier headlines let's talk for a brief moment about gifts you still have plenty of time to plan for father's day boys uh but don't wait too long and if you want a thoughtful unique gift for the sports dad in your life boys then you really should pick out something from playbook products they offer an incredible selection of fun high quality coasters and coffee mugs that feature diagrams of famous plays for iu it's the watch shot Keith Smart shot, Kirk Hastings shot to beat Michigan State, and the final play of the 1976 national title game. And we just found out that's not it for the IU ones. There is a section in their website header that says novelty. There you'll find a subsection for oddest moments. In the oddest moments section is Bob Knight throwing the chair. So if you want a coaster, mug, face mask, face mask, or satchel commemorating that moment, now you can have it. And they have designs for every pro sports team, plus a bunch of college programs, too. Point being, Playbook Products has something for every sports fan. These are unique gifts that the sports fan in your life will appreciate, which is why Andy got them for Jared all those years ago, and he still uses them. And now we're happy to tell you about them here on the, sh- on the show. So go to assemblycall.com backslash PP. That's assemblycall.com backslash PP and start browsing. You'll definitely find something for yourself or for the sports fan in your life. And when you use that URL, assemblycall.com backslash PP, they know that we sent you, so we get a 15% commission on your entire order. Go to assemblycall.com backslash PP and pick out your coasters and mugs today. That's assemblycall.com backslash PP. Okay, here we go. Um, Let's uh, hit some Hoosier hot uh, headlines. Jerome Hunter leaves the IU basketball program. He's not in the transfer portal when it was announced, so it might be coming more from the team side, and and we'll talk a little bit about that. The IU statement is, quote, Indiana University men's basketball coach Mike Woodson has announced that redshirt sophomore wing Jerome Hunter will not return next season. Um, Woodson is quoted as saying, we appreciate everything that Jerome has done as a member of the program and wish him nothing but the best in the future, end quote, uh, from Coach Woodson. Uh, another uh, staff um, member joins IU. Isaac Green joined an IU staff as a grad assistant. And according to the website Vavil, uh, quote, the 21-year-old has helped in the development of over 50 different professional players, including NBA stars and Donovan Mitchell, Kevin Love, Carmelo Anthony, D'Angelo Ru- uh, Russell, and others. And he's also was one of the youngest head coaches to ever take charge of an uh, EYBL uh, league game, uh, high-level AAU team. Uh, not sure what to make of this hire, but we'll probably talk about that on, on a later show. But anytime you can get guys in that can help in the development of players, uh, we know that's uh, going to be 
um, important. There was some, a lot of discussion, and this is going to be on a show coming up too, about potential rule changes from flopping to six files, all kinds of things. We might do a complete show on that uh, coming up, but there was some discussion on that this week. Um, and then just about four or five hours before the show starts, uh, the, the Big Ten uh, released its opponents that are scheduled for next year. And uh, home and away for your Indiana Hoosiers next year will be Purdue, Maryland, Minnesota, Nebraska, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, home only, uh, Illinois, Michigan, and Rutgers, and away only, Iowa, Michigan State, and Northwestern. And we'll come back to that here in, in just a second. Uh, so that's, again, some schedule news. We'll hit on that again in the future as well. But let's go back, uh, guys, to Jerome Hunter leaving uh, the, the basketball program. Brent, we'll start with you. Um, your thoughts on, on Jerome leaving and, and what that does uh, for the roster heading into uh, the summer? Uh, I mean, it, or my original thought was just that, I mean, it was disappointing. You never like to – I don't really know the situation – but um, you never like to see a player that I thought had a bright future and showed um, signs of some pretty good things uh, leave a program. Um, but on the flip side of that, you know, it opens another scholarship and everything that Coach Woodson has done to this point and people he's brought back from the previous team and also who he's brought in uh, recruiting himself has all been positive. So I think we just need to put put trust in him that he knows what he's doing at this point and he's going to go hit the – portal and find another shooter that's going to wear the candy stripes and we'll have another player that will that we will fall in love with here shortly you bring up a good point in in the fact that um is he gonna is coach Woodson going to fill the 13th scholarship we've been discussing a lot on the show is how do you keep 13 scholarship players happy when they all want to get some run yeah. uh do you hold that in case there's a mid-year transfer or something else so we'll see what the strategy is for coach Woodson and staff um with the opening uh with Jerome Hunter Brandon your thoughts on uh Jerome Hunter where that leaves uh Indiana uh at this moment yeah, my first thought was kind of like you said, it's impossible to keep 13 players happy. And, you know, the reason I thought it was a little bit surprising is because at this point of the year, everybody thinks they're going to be a starter. Everybody thinks they're going to score, you know, 10 plus points a game. Um, but it it's also unsurprising, not surprising because, you know, that it was a position that was very clogged and, you know, was unsure of how we were going to get everybody minutes with, you know, Stewart and, uh, you know, bringing in Johnson and Bates. Those are kind of the shooters that, um, that Rome, that's the uh, role that he filled. So, I can understand why he could maybe, you know, see some competition and, you know, maybe go play for a coach that he gets to choose versus, you know, getting a coach that he didn't, you know, commit to. So that does make sense. But uh, I think IU will be okay um, in the long run. You know, it's disappointing because, you know, I did like Jerome. I know there were some off-court issues this year, but he he was a baller. He was a shooter. You know, he, he uh, you know, he didn't care. He would show up and, and shoot a, you know, 30-footer after just missing five. You know, you need some of that on a, on a team every now and then. But uh, I have no doubt Coach Woodson is bringing in some of that mentality with some of these new guys. And, um, you know, I wish Jerome the best, but you know, overall, I think it's just it's part of doing business in college athletics. Is there's going to be some attrition? It's just how it is. Yeah, and and that might continue for a while as the roles get defined. Uh, Coach Woodson's been here a month, been able to see the players and have conversations with them and talk to them about their roles and maybe define that uh, on the basketball floor. From my vantage point, I, I thought he was that shooter, but he struggled off the bounce. Uh, he was able to post up and shoot. He struggled off the bounce offensively, and he really struggled with defensive concepts. And, um, you know, uh, the question is, can he guard uh, a big guy? Can he guard a perimeter? And if Coach Woodson is really going to determine who plays uh, based on what they can do defensively, he might have made a determination there and had a conversation. 
Um, there was also, you know, a mid-year suspension. Um, and, and again, we, we're not going to talk about that in any negative uh, ways, but um, it always, at the end of the semester, you wonder if, if there was something uh, behind the scenes that, that caused uh, a decision to move on or uh, academics or things like that. Uh, I think um, it's interesting to see that um, you guys think anything, read into anything, Brandon, that it came, that he wasn't in the portal. It was announced from IU. That's a good question. I mean, you know, there's from my time at IU, there was always questionable exits at the end of the season. Everybody, you know, talked about that at length. Um, so I, I'm sure it's not that way with every with every uh, coaching uh, coaching team. But uh, I wouldn't read anything into it other than the, you know, the kid thought he might have a better opportunity somewhere else. Just didn't, you know, got to work with the coaches for a month or so and just didn't feel a good vibe, or you know, not not even didn't feel a good vibe. Just thought maybe his game didn't match what their what their vision for the future was. So. At this time, without hearing anything come out, I would say I wouldn't think twice about it. I think it's just, like I said, part of doing business in college athletics. Brent, you, you've been a manager at Indiana State, and you saw some guys come and go. Um, some left on their own, and, and some sometimes, uh, you know, there's a, a push by by a coach. We won't mention any names necessarily, mm -hmm. but how, how does that play out? Uh, and from your vantage point as a manager, when you see someone leave like that, um, yeah, just how, how, how do you think that plays out? I mean, I I never went through a coaching change when I was in school, and I, I honestly think that in terms of Jerome, I think that that plays a big role because he might have thought he wanted to stay for this coaching staff, and then a month is in, and he he thinks he thinks differently. But whenever some there's always people that aren't happy about their playing time. There's always people that think they should be getting more minutes, and you never know with with the new guys coming in too that everybody's expecting them to have a significant role. Maybe he saw his role dwindle down. And I saw that at Indiana State too. We we had some good uh freshmen come in and that put even though coach wouldn't like push them out himself, that kind of made them want to go look at other options just because they saw their playing time dwindle. So I mean it, it happens. It's it's tough to see, but it, it definitely happens and I I've, I saw that firsthand too. So, so whatever uh, the reason, obviously uh, he will be playing somewhere else, and we wish Jerome. Obviously, we kind of nursed him through that injury. Uh, that was really serious injury. We're glad he's back to health, back to playing, uh, and, and we wish him nothing uh, but the best. And also for uh, Coach Woodson to to do what he can with that staff. So let's talk schedule a little bit here in in, in segment one. Um, the the home the the double plays: um, Purdue, Maryland, Minnesota, Nebraska, Ohio State. Uh, Penn State and Wisconsin. Um, boy, I, I think in this this plays out well for um, Indiana because if you kind of look at the way too early pecking order, um, you, you have Purdue, Ohio State, and then Maryland might be in that top level there. So you, you have three of seven teams that are at the top level. You miss um, Michigan, Michigan State. Um, Illinois and Iowa might be falling back to the pack, but you only have them once. So as far as the double plays go, Brent, um, you know, are you, are you happy or, um, your first impression happy or a little disappointed in the, the double plays for your Hoosiers? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, I mean, look, looking at it, Purdue, you knew that was going to be double one, um, Ohio state, um, is is going to be pretty good too, and it's always good. It's I I like that competition though. I like playing some of the better teams um, twice personally, but then it is nice to one of the best teams, Michigan, only having to play them at home too. That there is something nice about that. Um, but I, I think this schedule is actually favoring IU in a big way. 
Yeah, I purposely left Wisconsin off one of those top things. I, I just think, you know, they they have a few guys back. They have a good system, but uh, they're going to rely a lot on first-year players and mm-hmm. second-year players who haven't had game time, um, you know, uh, experience. And so, you know, I, I think that's a – this might be a good time – to get that win at the Cole Center. We were real close uh, a couple times here recently, but uh, I don't think you can just count it um, that way. Brandon, um, your thoughts on the the double plays. Um, Good? uh, Too tough? Or uh, do you think it's a a good schedule for Indiana? You know, one thing that concerns me the most for, you know, those of you who listen to the Ion College Basketball Podcast is we do have to go into Pinnacle Bank. So, you know, that's always <laughs> going to be a struggle. But uh, in all seriousness, yeah, I think it it is a, you know, we, we definitely didn't, this the schedule wasn't going to hurt us. Uh, we, we avoid Michigan, Michigan State twice, which is always good. Michigan's rolling. Michigan State is Michigan State, even though, you know, they might have had it down. You know, these last couple of years, it's it's always tough to, to, to beat them. So even though we have to go go to Michigan state when we do play them. Um, we only have to play them once. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's always a good thing, but uh, overall, yeah, I like the schedule. You guys kind of hit the nail on the head besides going to Pinnacle bank. Uh, can't really complain. I, I am really happy that the, we play Michigan once and it's in a, assembly hall and let's get the fans back in and get Absolutely. that place humming. They're really going to be good next year. Uh, and, 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 you know, um, Let's just beat a ranked Michigan at home. It's time to get back to Indiana basketball. The and then I think you know Iowa doesn't play any defense, so that's easier to win on the road. Northwestern's a game you should win on the road. Michigan State's uh, always going to be tough. So here's here's what I'm going to ask you, you guys. We'll start with you, Brandon. Um, you have the seven away games in the in the double, uh, and you have um, the three away games. Which game, if you had a free um, trip to go see, and you guys as managers have been to to some of these places, which of the uh, um, 10 away games would you choose to go see? All right, that's a good question. So I'm looking, I think the, so I would choose to go to Michigan State. And the reason is that the only um, arenas I haven't been to that we're playing out away would be Nebraska and Michigan State. And obviously, Michigan State's a better choice there. So I would I would choose to take the free trip to Michigan State. Um, but I do want to give a shout out to Minnesota. That is my favorite uh, Big Ten arena outside of Assembly Hall, of course. Um, the barn is just unbelievable. Great, great venue. If you ever have a chance to go there for a game, definitely take advantage of it. But uh, for this season, I would go to Michigan State. Brent, which game uh, am I sending you to if uh, I'm sending you to an away game? Uh, I do want to note real quick that I have been I haven't been to as many as Brandon because obviously I was at Indiana State. I I did go in my college period to Purdue, Illinois, and Indiana, but Illinois is a home only. But that arena is awesome. I, I really enjoyed going to that arena, but I know that's home only. I would actually go to Minnesota, and I know Brandon just said that it was his favorite place he's been. I I just I like the look of the barn. I've always have, and I, I think. The atmosphere is good. All the atmospheres in the Big Ten are good, but I think I would really want to go see the Hoosiers compete at Minnesota. By the way, Chatma, Brent is not allowed to talk about his trip to Bloomington as a manager for Indiana State. We we that was part of his contract on coming on tonight. He slipped it in there, so he will be fined a significant amount of money um, for for bringing. Um, that, that I, I just said I went there. I wasn't going to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I said know, I went I, there. I know how you are. Okay, so, <laughs> um, 
both of you have been managers and you, and you, you got the chance to travel, um, as a manager, Brent, we'll start with you. Um, I know this is an Indiana podcast, but, uh, talk about one of your favorite, uh, road trips, uh, as a manager and why that was a, a favorite of yours. You, you don't want me to talk about it, do you? No, not that one. You can't, you can't talk about that. I, I won't talk about the game. I won't okay. talk about the game, but in all seriousness, because of me growing up as a, as a Hoosier fan, being able to be on the bench in assembly hall was cool. It was just one of the coolest moments just personally for me. Um, now in terms of other venues that I've been to, hold on um, a second. Did you play a manager game in assembly hall? I did. So you on, on the night before, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, managers come in the night before the team comes in the night before they get everything ready. And then the managers, uh, from both teams, the home team will invite the visiting managers over and they'll play a, a competitive game on the floor, usually on the floor of, uh, the mm-hmm. home venue. So Brent was a Indiana state manager, got to play on assembly halls floor. Talk about that as a, as a fan growing up. Uh, that was that was almost just as cool as the actual game the next night, to be honest with you, because I actually got to go compete on the floor that I grew up watching games at. And that was just cool. And it was cool always playing those manager games. But that one is definitely special to me because it was on Assembly, Assembly Hall's court. And that was just one of the coolest uh, experiences personally for me, too. Brandon, which um... – which venue was yours in the Big Ten, or was there? I know you went to Hawaii uh, with the team, so that might have been a been a good <laughs> trip. But um, you know, I'm pay, I'm paying for your college, and you're flying to Hawaii and missing cl- class. That that's what you don't see. You know, meaningful moments you guys don't see is is the cash going one way, and he's on vacation in in Hawaii with the basketball team. But what what venue as a manager, or what town uh, did you enjoy going to uh, when you traveled? Yeah, so I actually got to go on a couple cool trips. You mentioned Hawaii. That was a trip of a lifetime. Actually, since we got paid per diem every road trip for like meals, I kind of I got paid to go to Hawaii. Okay. I, I I pocketed some money, so uh, that was that was always nice. But my favorite road trip would have had to been for our Sweet Sixteen trip to Philadelphia, my sophomore year. Um, we got to practice in the Plestra, which was unbelievable. And then we stayed right by the Liberty Bell. I uh, got to eat a lot of cheesesteaks. Um, even though we lost the game, um, that was a, a great trip. Uh, that and the energy during warmups against North Carolina in the Sweet 16 is is unmatched. Um, so that would have to be my favorite trip. With the close second being the trip to Des Moines the weekend before for the for the first round. Um, um, can I can I add ahead. one to that for me? Sure. I was gonna I was gonna mention this before we talked about the manager game. Uh, my first the first game of my senior year we went to Dayton and that was when Dayton was really good with Obi Toppin. And uh, all those boys were where if it wasn't for COVID, they would have probably been a one or a two seed. Um, and they were just really good. But that atmosphere was is one of the best in the country. And what really amazed me by that is we were just Indiana State. They were supposed to beat us. Wasn't a rival by any means. And we got there 90 minutes before tip off and their student section was screaming at the, our players. They were they were yelling at me and I was just a manager. Like they were, they were into it and ready to roll. And that was one of my favorite road trips as well was going to Dayton. Did. um, Okay. So one more question here. Uh, We'll we'll go back to Brent. What was your favorite moment, your favorite win as a manager at Indiana state? And what was the atmosphere like with the team and the guys after the win? Uh, We, we, we struggled my freshman year. We really struggled. We, we had a really bad record. Um, But, we upset 8-0 and ranked 16th Butler on our home court. And that probably was one of um, the 
biggest games that I was a part of. The students rushed the floor, um, and then just the environment around campus and the environment in our locker room was was like it was it was big time because we don't always get that opportunity to play a ranked team, let alone play a ranked team on our home court. Because most of the time, most of the time, those teams want us to go to their court. Um, and by the way, since that time, Butler hasn't scheduled us back, but we took care of business and that was probably my favorite win, um, in my four years. Neither is Indiana, but, but we're not talking about that. Uh, Br- <laughs> Hey, Br- you brought that one up. I didn't, yeah. I didn't bring that up. Brandon, your, your favorite moment, um, uh, as a Hoosier and what it just felt like to be part of the organization. Um, that's tough. Cause I had a lot of good moments on the, you know, during practices and before practices, just hang out with the guys. Um, you know, I think you saw some of the some of the fun times we had as with as managers. You know, even not at the facility, but we don't have to talk about that right now. Um, but as as far as games, I would say the most the most electric it felt during a game was another North Carolina game, but the one at home my junior year when we had just got home from beating Kansas in Hawaii. Uh, I got to play them in the ACC Big Ten Championship Challenge, and I think they had the Blackhawks guys singing the national anthem. It was just deafening; you couldn't hear. Uh, the person next to you talking and we, you know, kicked their ass. I think we beat them by 20. Um, and it was, it was fantastic. Uh, that was the most electric atmosphere. That was the most fun I had. And then, you know, we don't have to talk about the rest of that season. Uh, but up to that point, that was a blast. But the year prior, you did get a big 10 ring and it is, it is a remarkable thing to look at uh, from an IU fan. Very proud dad that you're a part of a big 10 uh, championship. So, okay. Coming up on assembly call radio, we're going to go behind the scenes and share a little bit more of what it's like working for a major D1 basketball program at Indiana State in Indiana. And we're going to look at it through the eyes of a couple managers. So stick with us on the assembly call. Hi, this is Jawan Morgan. What's the only thing better than getting IU's first triple-double in 47 years? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. Welcome back to the assembly call. How do you keep up um, with the fire hose of information that comes out almost every day about IU basketball? It's crazy during the offseason, and it's even crazier during the season. Well, we've got your back. We send out a free weekly email newsletter on Sunday mornings. It rounds up the most important and interesting IU basketball stories from the previous week to keep you up to date on your Hoosiers. Over 8,000 of your fellow IU fans are on the list, and we want you to be there too. So go to join.assemblycall.com to subscribe for free right now. That's join.assemblycall.com. You can also text IU to 66866. That's IU to 66866. Okay, I'm the coach, uh, Brian Tonsoni. I'm here with my uh, sons, uh, Brandon and Brent Tonsoni, and they both were managers for Division One. One was a mid-major manager, and there's a whole different you know, uh, scheme of things uh, with, with the uh, mid-major. Uh, and then... Obviously, Brandon was at Indiana uh, for three years, so we're going to give you a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look uh, at what goes on inside basketball programs uh, at this level. So, uh, fellas, we'll we'll start um, with uh, Brandon. What what was one of the um, your best memories, jobs uh, as a manager? Things that you enjoyed uh, in your three years of being an Indiana basketball manager. 
Yeah. So like you said, being a manager at IU versus being at different schools, um, was a lot diff was just very different, uh, especially under Tom Crean. He expected a lot of his managers, um, which is good and bad. Um, good because we got to do, uh, do a lot of extra stuff and bad because, you know, if you didn't live up to those expectations, you would hear about it. Uh, but it, I got to do a lot of cool stuff. So, um, some of my duties included, you know, going to practice, getting everything ready for practice, getting all the balls out, the water, the Gatorade, uh, getting the scoreboard set up. Um, and then also, like I said, he expected a lot out of us. He, he always, um, when he was hiring, he, he made every, everybody who applied to uh, play a pickup game and he would watch because he wanted the managers to get in practice and get involved. And so by the time you were a sophomore, junior, senior, you were expected to step in. So that was always a lot of fun getting to go up against, you know, really good athletes like Yogi Ferrell, OG Ananobi, Thomas Bryant. Um, a lot of our managers end up with broken noses just because, you know, we, we couldn't compete athletically. I always uh, joke that there was one time, I think it was a spring practice, uh, he wanted Yogi Ferrell to go 75% and I still couldn't keep up going 100. So um, <laughs> stuff like that's fun. But uh, yeah, I got to do that all on the court, which was a blast. Got to help out with warm-up pregame. And then also we had a big role um, with video work. We would be assigned a couple games a week. Uh, if, I don't know if any any tech people are out there, but we would use Sports Code. It's this uh, it's this system that you know you can download games and then cut them up. So if the coach wants to see, you know, let's say we were playing, uh, you know, uh, who's a good who's a good example? We were playing uh, Michigan State and Rocket Watts was playing. He wanted to see every time Rocket Watts drove to the basket and used his right hand. Like he could see that um, just by typing that in and we'd have every single clip of him from the last five games pulled up just as we would go through and, and tag all the plays throughout the games. Um, so we got to do that a couple times a week, which was, which was, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, uh, tiresome and, you know, kind of monotonous, but it was also fun because you got to, you got to see all the teams play and, uh, definitely an experience. I, that's very unique. That I, that I enjoyed. One of the stories that, that, that Brandon told me is that each team, I think, or league or whatever had different brand of basketballs. And so you had, uh, all the different brands of basketball, sets of basketball. So if you were playing a certain team and they had a um, a certain type of basketball, you would practice with them for a couple of days, and then you'd have to bring out another set of basketballs. Uh, yep. Can you share that just real quickly? Yeah, so the equipment managers uh, would be – and th those are full-time employees, the equipment managers. They would have relationships with, with the equipment teams at other schools, and they would they would exchange you know basketballs. We were Adidas, so we would send a box of Adidas basketballs in exchange for a box of you know Nike basketballs, or Michigan had the Rock. Um, there were Under Armour, some or whenever we had a an NCAA event, it was Wilson, which you know as a high school Indian basketball player, I loved the Wilson basketballs. Um, but the worst one was Wisconsin. I don't know if anybody knows this, but they use this brand of basketball called Sterling. It is the worst basketball I've ever touched in my life. Everybody hated it. It's can't get a grip on it. It's super slick. So that's why uh, we lose a goal center. <laughs> exactly. It's they're cheating. Okay. Bring out new basketball. <laughs> but uh but yeah, that was always interesting getting those out to practice. And it was always tough because we'd only have a limited amount. We'd have like five or six of them. We'd have to make sure they were in the rotation and it was always a lot harder getting those uh in for practice. But yeah, that was an interesting part of the job. Man, Wisconsin's got the officials on their side. Now they got the <laughs> weird basketballs that they they play with. Um, Brent, um, your, your job was a little different. You didn't have as much film study, uh, mm -hmm. at, at Indiana and you, you, they had 10, 12 managers at Indiana. You guys were, were down to four. Talk a little bit about preparation for practice. What did you guys have to do so that the coach and the team can come out and, and have a productive practice? Yeah, we, so the way mid-major is different than like a big 10 school like IU is, you know, we had one equipment manager for all sports. 
So that like, so he helped me a lot, but he also had to worry about all these other sports. So when I got moved to like head manager, I, I was in charge of, of like making sure gear was organized. And the other managers helped me a lot with that, which was uh, setting out gear for practice. And if they had a morning lift, we had different gear for weights and we had different gear for practice. So we had to, uh, managers help me out passing out gear and stuff. And then in terms of getting the court ready, um, we had to get the ball rack out. We did drills with pads with the bigs. We had to get all that stuff out. And then uh, we, we taped the court. We always had X's um, on each half court, which is what we did for like our spacing. And uh, Coach Lansing wanted us to tape down the midline um, for some of our defensive stuff. So uh, we always had to make sure the floor was taped. Um, and we always had to get that stuff ready. No no later than an hour and a half before practice, because if anybody wanted to come get early work in, we had to be there to rebound and we could, we couldn't be um, what, doing other stuff, getting the court ready when players were on the court too. So uh, we had to be there extra early and we stayed extra late. And, um, but yeah, gear, gear was um, a big thing that I did and also getting gear ready for road trips too. the night before we left for a road trip, we had to get all the practice gear ready for our practice that we were going to have on the road and then game gear and all that stuff along with packing snacks and drinks and all that stuff too. So um, we did more from that standpoint. Brent, tell them about your trip to green Bay. When you flew into when you had to fly instead of bus in Indiana, usually you would fly, but when you uh, you couldn't pack all of the snacks and the drinks and that was needed. So what happens when you fly into Green Bay for a game? This is a great story. So when when we fly, we don't bring any drinks. Well, we have we have to go get everything we need once we get there. So I had to Uber from the hotel to the um, to the store to get all the snacks and drinks and everything like that. And the dude that picked me up was probably the coolest dude I've ever met in my life. He was a Green Bay season ticket holder. He he told me when he was in college, he was actually Green Bay's mascot. And he would just thought like, I, I'm, I'm a nobody, like I'm a manager. Like I, it wasn't a big time player riding with him, but he thought it was the coolest thing that he was driving Indiana State's head manager around. So he dro- he drops me off. I go in and get everything I need. And he said, I'll just wait for you. You don't have to buy another Uber. I'll just wait for you. And he, when I got back in the car, he was on the phone with his buddy that he goes to all the games with. And he's like, he was telling him all about how he was driving the Indiana State head manager. And he just thought it was the coolest thing ever. But side stories like that were, were really cool, um, too. And then actually my senior year, that was junior year. My senior year, we started just Instacart and everything. So they would deliver it to the hotel, which was much easier not sure why we didn't do that the year before, but um, but that, I did kind of miss uh, the Uber the Uber rides to the store though. Those those were kind of fun. So we've been talking a lot about Indiana yeah. basketball and, and Coach Woodson uh, being a relationship and and, and what the previous uh, two coaches might have uh, uh, missed a little bit. And so I'm going to have the guys talk a little bit about the difference between a mid major program where things are a little more family and an and Indiana. Brent, that you are slurping on that. Drink, Sorry, dude. That's I didn't okay. know I had. I didn't. Ha- I didn't know I had none left. That's, That's my okay. Mute it next <laughs> time, uh, young blood. But anyway, the the relationship is different at the mid major than um, uh, at, at uh, Indiana, where the managers had more of a relationship together uh, than the, than the whole program, where they were respected. Both both kids were respected as, as managers. But Brent, talk a little bit about the relationship with head coach Lansing and the players at Indiana State, and then we'll get Brandon's uh, take on on how that was different at uh, Indiana. Yeah. Um, coach Lansing 
Like he was, I, I thought I'm biased, but I thought he was a great coach, but he, he was an even better person. I mean, like whether it was getting us, like he always would get food for us whenever he had the chance. And uh, he always would crack jokes with us in the office. Like he didn't look at us like we were just managers. Like he looked at, he truly, he would always tell us that we're just an, another part of the family. Um, and I had a great relationship with coach Lansing, a lot of great stories with coach Lansing. Um, and I mean, I was, the relationship thing, like you said, family, and and that's what it felt. And it was the same way with the players. You know, one of my best friends was Tyreek Key, and and he is the sixth all-time leading scorer in Indiana State basketball history. history. And there's some good names up there. Um, and you know, just because he was a star player, I mean, he was he would hang out with some of us managers more than he would hang out with the other players. Like he he didn't look at anybody, and that goes for everybody. He didn't look at us like we were just less less than them just because they were players. And so the family aspect and the lifelong friendships that I've got with the coaching staff, the GAs, my fellow managers, but also the players um, will last a lifetime. And I, I loved every single minute of it. I think we, we, we lost Brandon there for a little bit. We're trying to reconnect um, with him, but that, that was something um, special that I thought was really unique. Um, and so let's see, we got Brandon back now. Um, Brandon, we were talking about uh, the relationship uh, part uh, that was different at Indiana State than you had. You had really good relationships with the managers. Talk a little bit about the experience of what it's like, the organization of the program at, at, at Indiana. Yeah, so from my experience, it, you know, being at Indiana, it was much more around like a business. Um, you know, Tom Green was the CEO, the coaches were, you know, the VPs type of thing and so on and so forth. So like you said, there was still respect everywhere, uh, just a little bit more. Um, especially towards the end of uh, my run, a little bit more tense around the around the building, I would say. Um, but yeah, like you said, camaraderie was was great between the managers and even the players. There was all great respect. You know, we joked around with each other before practice. Um, um, but yeah, it was it was a great great experience, and I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. But yeah, like like you said, uh, definitely a different vibe. Uh, a little bit more a little bit more on the line, especially at the, at the end of the run. But uh, it was still great. You felt that team camaraderie all the way through. And so, um, share, share with our, the chat mob and, and our listeners, um, how, um, Hanner, uh, Perea f- uh, fit in your car. Yeah, not, not very easily. Uh, <laughs> so when, when players got injured, it was usually on the managers to go pick them up and take them to class. Uh, so yeah, I had to give Hanner a ride a couple of times and, you know, that was, he didn't fit very well in my Camry. Uh, OG also when he tore his ACL would have to sit in the back of my car with his, uh, with his leg out outstretched so that was that was always interesting getting them getting them in there to fit but uh you know we made it we made it happen and uh, they got to class on time for most of the time um brent your your favorite story player related story if you if you want to say a name fine if you don't that's fine uh as well but your favorite uh story about a player and then we'll talk a little player development uh i mean there's there's a lot of, a lot of probably individual stories but i'll just put it in general like in, in the late nights in the gym were, were my favorite thing, whether it was with my early years with Brenton Scott, one of my good good friends that I would always work work out and rebound for, or Tyreek Key. You know, Tyreek would come in at, at 9 o'clock at night, get a, put a good hour, hour and a half workout in, and then we honestly would just sit in the gym and just crack jokes and talk for another hour. And, and those, those side little things, we don't got to go into, like, individual stuff like what we talked about or anything, but, like, that, that stuff just – I'll never like. I wish I wish I could go back because that that made my college years even greater. Just was with those times in the gym. 
So Indiana basketball needs shooters. We've been talking about shooters uh, and, and getting in the gym and whether they were developed under Archie Miller, not under Archie Miller. Uh, is it up to the player to develop? Uh, we'll start with um, uh, Brent. Talk about you, you had a really good shooter, Tyreek Keys, coming back for a fifth year at Indiana State. The, the, the kid just can flat out shoot. But talk a little bit about his player development. How much of it was coach-led? How much of it was uh, Tyreek-led? And what you did uh, for Tyreek to help him become an outstanding shooter, something we hope the Indiana uh, guards and uh, will follow. Um, I See, I think it can be a little bit of both. I mean, like in terms of our individual workouts, they were ran by our assistant coaches, um, and they put great workouts in with all of our players. But – the player has to be willing to go above and beyond if he wants to be a true shooter. You know, I mean, the coaching staff, they have families, right? They probably can't come in every night at nine, nine o'clock, but Tyreek did. Tyreek would always hit up a manager. Uh, I got to give a quick shout to Kenny because that was Tyreek's main guy. I was in there helping him out too, but he would hit up Kenny or he would hit up me and uh, he would go in by himself. You know, the, the great players, in my opinion, they don't need a coach to get them better. They don't need a coach because they, they got to want it themselves. Um, and that, that's what amazed me about Tyreek, man, is like he, he would have an early morning lift. He would then go to class, right? He would do his homework. He would have a two-hour practice. Then he'd go get dinner, and he'd be right back in the gym with nobody else besides him and a manager. And, and I think that's what it takes. If you want to be great, you've got to be willing to work on your own. And so all this talk about coaches not being able to develop, I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Even if you get fired and it doesn't work out, I don't buy it because – because I just think that every coach develops his players to what he, his philosophy is, but then it's also up to the player to go above and beyond and get better himself. Brandon, you had uh, Cook Hall and, and you had access to Assembly Hall and, and Cook Hall. Um, how often were players uh, during your three years in there working on their own, or was it mostly coach-driven, GA-driven uh, type activity? It was a little bit of both. So definitely every week, you know, there was the, you know, the, the maximum or minimum amount of hours that the players could be with the coaches that they would take advantage of. But every single player got in there every single day if they were in town. Um, like Brent said, the best players probably in there a little bit more. I remember seeing Yogi in there past midnight several times. Um, he was always in there um, working on his game. But I want to take that question a little bit on a different angle. And I want to talk sure. about how just how good these players are that come to IU. You know, we see them on the court going against, up against other Big Ten athletes and, you know, it can look like maybe, you know, they're not as talented as we want them to be. But when you see them in an individual workout, just straight shooting the ball or the, these players are freak athletes and they're freakishly good at basketball, um, even if they might not show it on the court every single day. I remember, um, you know, there were a couple of, I'm not going to name names, but there are a couple of players who rarely saw the court at my time and they just don't miss when they're not being guarded. Um, so that's that's one thing I think I open my eyes the most during, from my experience is just how good the players are that don't even play. Um, and, you know, that can get lost sometimes as, as a fan, you know, just not seeing the production on the court. It's not that the players aren't good. You know, you know, being able to play the game and play the game against a Big Ten talent is a big, big difference that I think some people don't understand. So, Brandon, what what is what was the average length of a, a Yogi midnight uh, sh shooting? Uh, did he have to have a manager in there? You have, uh, uh, obviously, with the shooting gun, uh, the automatic passing uh, technology and all that stuff, rebounding technology. Um, what, how long did these guys, when you were there at Indiana, uh, spend on their own? 
Um, for like a serious workout where they would need a manager, I would say 30 to 45 minutes max. But then, you know, they were, they were kids too. They would go in there with each other, blast the music and just shoot around and maybe play some pickup, um, for hours. But as far as like serious hard work where they're like, you know, focused and going hundred percent, I'd say anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour a day. Um, and then I also want to tell a story, uh, you know, sometimes us managers didn't, didn't always like the players who were in there all the time. Cause you know, we like to have a life as well. And I heard, uh, from the managers who came before me that Jordy Holes was a manager's worst nightmare because he would use managers for hours and hours and hours. He was always in the call. Uh, so that was a fun story, which, you know, is probably not surprising to many people. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of what I would say, uh, the average length is. Uh, managers are on call for coaches, managers on call for players. Sometimes managers, uh, the day after their 21st birthday, have to go in and work out a potential recruit uh, who ends up coming to Indiana State despite um, Brent's condition. Um, you know, so um, Brent, how often were you uh, called um, by players, especially Brent and Scott? That was your guy. I know Tyreek and Kenny, but but what was the strangest or, or how long, how many times were you called or how often, but what was the strangest time that you ever went in to, to help a player uh, work on his game? Uh, I think the latest I got called or the, actually the earliest. And this actually is a IU story. Kind of uh, I convinced Tyreek to um, come to go to the IU ball state uh, Lucas oil game, but the season before COVID um, and He's like, well, if I'm going to go, I got to get a workout in before. I was like, well, the tailgate starts at seven. So when are we working out? He goes, all right, see you at the gym at four. <laughs> so I got up like an idiot and I went and, and rebounded for him at 4 a.m. And then we went and tailgated and went and saw IU beat Ball State. Um, that was probably the earliest I've went in there. Um, I, I've been in there past midnight before. Um, and, and at Indiana State, you know, we only had four or five managers. Uh, certain players had certain managers that they liked to work out, you know, like um, and so sometimes I, I could get an off night if another manager was in there. Um, but I got I got a text almost every day and I, I would get text too, um, mostly just to go get them something like our practice facility was not connected to our main gym. So when we would change facilities, a lot of the players would forget shoes or something. And that's when I would get a call or a text like, hey, we got practice in an hour. Can you run and get my shoes? Um, so I had to do that stuff, too. But, um, yeah early late we were always available and we we wanted to get the team better though so we didn't really mind and that goes for all managers not just me and and, and brandon is traveling um uh, with his his wife and so he's got a he's got a run but we're going to send it to him for a final uh comment about uh about being a manager about behind the scenes uh with, with indiana basketball go ahead brandon yeah thanks uh, sorry i can't make for the last segment but uh yeah thanks for having me on and the yeah, last thing I would say is uh, if you ever have a, a kid going to IU who's, who loves basketball and uh, definitely recommend him trying to be a manager. It was an experience of a lifetime. Um, I didn't do it all four years. I did it for three years, but you know, I wouldn't trade those three years for anything. Uh, made some lifelong memories. I'm in a, I'm in a wedding here in a couple of weeks with one of my manager friends. So uh, it was just a great experience. I definitely got to see the, the other side of the team I grew up idolizing. And uh, yeah, it was a, I, I, I loved every minute of it. Well, thanks for joining us, Brandon. Have a good time. Be safe all weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Uh, Brent, to finish finish this segment, um, let's talk about shooting. You're a coach uh, now um, at at a a 1A program here in Indiana, and and you've seen uh, shooting at the Division I. What kind of things do you, do you see that the best shooters? Brenton Scott was a good shooter. You worked out. Tyreek Key is a is a great shooter. What makes the difference between those guys who can really fill up uh, uh, the hoop and those guys that struggle? In in your opinion, 
I mean, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I honestly, like, obviously you need good footwork. You need good form. That all can be taught and corrected by the coaching staff, right? But I think it's reps. I really do. I, I mean, if, if you got a if you got a kid that just wants to go play video games all night and and not necessarily get better on his own, um, I think those tend to be the ones that don't have the higher percentages on game nights. Um, and I think that's why you see your best shooters, your best scores um, are the ones that are going the extra mile. Um, and and that doesn't even really have anything to do with like actually shooting the ball. But I, I practice makes perfect, right? So I think just reps are my biggest thing. And I'm trying to get that on my high school guys, some guys to just work hard, work hard on your own. You know, just because I'm not in the gym with you doesn't mean you can't go home and shoot on your backyard goal or something like that. Like, I think reps is, goes a long way with that stuff. Let's talk real quick before we end the segment on confidence. Your, your thought on confidence. We, Indiana did not shoot the ball well, and there's a lot of thought uh, about the stressfulness, the offense. Um, you know, uh, your thought on a shooter's confidence? I think it's huge. I think it's absolutely huge. Um, I I wasn't there for last year's IU season or anything up close, but you know, I think a, g- a good coach and a good coach that wants his players to play with confidence, you know, it, it doesn't take the confidence away. You got you got to keep motivating. If he, if he's going through a stretch where he he's not hitting, you keep saying, "Hey, shooters, keep shooting." You know, like be ready. The next one's going down. You know, I, I had a coach that did that to me when I was in high school and I've never had someone have confidence in me like that. That certain coach did. So um, I, I think I think you just confidence goes a long way. And if you if you think the shots going in, you can't think the shots not going to go in like you can't think. I remember when you used to always tell me you're a worse basketball player when you're thinking mm-hmm. like don't think just go out there and play. Have fun. I mean, it's a game like go have fun and have confidence. And I think that'll lead to individual success and ultimately team success. One of the things that we wanted to uh, do with this segment here was just talk a little bit about behind the scenes. And we could talk for hours about how important managers are. Uh, we didn't get to talk a lot about the GAs, uh, but there's a lot of things that go into a practice. There's a lot of things that go into uh, skill development, uh, player-driven workouts, uh, getting things ready, uh, and thanks to Jay Billis and some other national people who have really uh, pushed the managers and report on manager games and all of those things. But uh, in order for IU to win, it takes a good coaching staff. We have one and it takes good players. We're working on that roster and it takes a lot of people and athletic department, uh, the GAs and, and the managers behind the scenes uh, to, to get things done. And we as fans sometimes don't see that. We turn, tune in on, on, on game night. And, and I was really happy that Brandon mentioned um, that, that these guys are good. Uh, and, and they're, they're really talented people. And, uh, you see a lot of high school players that, that, you know, my son was a 1300 point scorer and he goes down there and can't even play Yogi, uh, a Yogi playing 75%. That, that was a, a, a good a story there. They're just, they're, they're talented. They're talented at Brent's level at Indiana state. Uh, and the ones that rise on game nights are the ones that put in the extra, uh, extra effort. So I really, um, appreciate, uh, those stories, uh, from behind the scenes, uh, and maybe we can get into a little bit more of that, uh, later on. So, uh, coming up in our third segment, uh, we'll do some subscriber shout-outs and answer your questions, so stick around with us here on The Assembly Call.
This is Nick Zeisloft. I never miss an open three, and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call. Hello, everyone. I'm Coach Tonsoni. I'm here with Jared Morris, who's just joined us, and Brent Tonsoni, and we're going to talk a little bit Indiana basketball now. Um, but before we do that, it's, it's segment three, which can only mean one thing. I'm going to throw it to Jared for the shout-outs. Take it away. So it's okay if I crash Tonsoni time, Absolutely. Coach? Jared okay. Tonsoni for tonight. You should have typed your name in there. Don't I, need, don't I need a name that starts with a B, though, to like keep the theme? Yeah, that's true. Someone in All the right. chat said Barod. Okay, Barod, I guess. <laughs> that would be I guess nice. I'll take that. <laughs> or Barod, one, whichever one you want to say. Uh, all right, so let's do some subscriber shout-outs. If this is your first time, we do these shout-outs for members of our email list who have recommended our email list to other people, brought more subscribers to the Assembly Call email list. And so this is our way of saying thanks and just kind of giving some recognition to the awesome members of our community. Uh, the first subscriber shout-out comes to us from Chicago, and it is Josh Paz. Josh's favorite Hoosier is Will Sheehy because of the intensity that he brought night in and night out. Love that one. His assembly call leader is Coach because he joined as a guest on his podcast and was super cool. Do you remember that, Coach? Yeah, a couple of high school guys from uh, a Chicagoland area asked me to be on their local podcast, and it was it was a blast. They did a good job and asked some really good questions. So, uh, yeah, uh, Josh, I, I track him on Twitter. Just a, a great young man. He's That's a White awesome. Sox fan, though, I think. <laughs> he is well his special acknowledgement he simply said go white Sox," which i fully endorse so yeah. very cool thank you josh and our second subscriber shout out comes to us from new albany indiana and it is richard roland his favorite hoosier is calvert cheney i'm right there with you uh for his assembly call leader he said you were my favorite host of course lol uh by you he meant me but i'm really not sure what the lol was for i was <laughs> i was really liking it until i read the lol so i'm not sure if he was being sarcastic or what exactly that meant but i'm going to take it as a compliment richard so i appreciate that and for his special acknowledgement he said i would like to acknowledge my son and grandson jason and luke for keeping the hoosier tradition alive in the roland household go hoosiers and you know i loved reading that one because if there is anything that is indiana basketball it is a love for iu basketball being passed down from fathers to sons mothers to daughters mothers to sons dads to daughters and on down the generations so that was fun to read so thank you josh and richard we appreciate you guys being members of the assembly call community and those are your shout outs very good now it's time for our um our questions, our mailbag, all questions were submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about and join at assemblycall.com backslash community. Uh, we do not have a mediocre question uh, from Jay. Uh, Lame. He, he must be working on that man cave, uh, his overtime. Um, so this first question, Jared, we're going to give you a chance uh, to talk a little bit about Jerome. Uh, we talked about him in, in the first segment, but Adam Lehman says, uh, what am I supposed to do now that my guy Jerome is leaving? Do I have to take my talents with him, or should I change my allegiances to another player as president of his fan club? Uh, sad to see him go. Wish him the best. Uh, Adam, don't leave us uh, because Jerome's leaving. But um, your your thoughts um, on, on on the departure of Jerome Hunter? Well, you know someone else who's disappointed about Jerome Hunter leaving. Jerome will be something special. Our buddy Richie, who was also the president of the Jerome Hunter fan club. Uh, look, no, Adam, you you don't leave. You stay with us. Obviously, you're a Hoosier. Um, you know, I think my thoughts on this, when I saw it come down, I was disappointed because I think we all have had high hopes for Jerome. We've all wanted to see him 
you know, kind of, you know, push through the health issues that he's had and, and kind of get back to being the guy that we thought he could be in high school. You know, he's got that kind of, you know, the just I don't give a crap shooters mentality that we love to see. And and I think we were all excited to see what he could do in this new system. But all of those things said, I was not surprised to see this news come out, you know, a little disappointed, but not surprised. Um, and so, you know, I hope for him that he gets to go to a place, maybe a lower level where he can just play, play a lot score some points, you know, develop into into as good of a player as he can be. You know, but I think what it does is you know, it 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 kind of releases a bit of a pressure valve on playing time at the 3-4 spot. You know, you bring in Miller Cop, you've already got Parker Stewart who's probably going to play a lot of that, you know, 3 because of how many, you know, guards and ball handlers we have. You got Race Thompson, you've got Jordan Geronimo with Jerome Hunter in there. That's a lot of guys and a lot of talented guys to kind of mix through those spots. So is Indiana going to lose something with Jerome Hunter gone? Yeah, because, you know, there have been four or five nights the last two seasons, a season where you don't win games or you're not in the games if Jerome Hunter doesn't come out and just start shooting and making shots. And we're not going to have that and whatever he could have become, you know, but I, I think there's a chance for it to be a positive if it allows Indiana to kind of shorten the rotation and some of those guys to kind of fall into roles a little bit easier. If Miller cop is as good as we think, if Parker Stewart can shoot like we think, if Jordan Geronimo takes another step, if race Thompson is as good of a shooter as Devonte green thinks he is, which is probably one of the great revelations of the Devonte green uh, interview number two. So that's what I think, um, you know, and it also, opens up a chance for Indiana to maybe get another player too. So my guess is on a on the kind of net net, it's going to end up being a positive for Indiana, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that there aren't some negatives to Jerome leaving too. So that's, it's, yeah. you know, that's kind of where I'm at with it. It's interesting. I, I think if, if it's a basketball decision that speaks volumes for cop and Geronimo, in, in my opinion, that they're going to get some time at the four and maybe his time was uh, going to be a little limited, whether that was a defensive decision or not. There's been some conversation that uh, it might've been a, a, a program decision or something. And, and we didn't really go into any details on that. Um, but nonetheless, he's, he, he's leaving. Uh, and, and we um, wish him well, I'm going to take time right now to just shout you out, Jared, for the excellent job you're doing in the community with all of the, the interviews uh, and, and things that you bring to uh, the assembly call fans and encourage everyone to come join our community because um, just some great conversations that you've had um, Devonte Green and and it was the latest a two segment one um, that you've done Brian Evans um, Steve Green it just added to to our community so thank you um, on behalf of everyone the chat mob and everyone thank you for your efforts on, on those interviews well, hey, thanks, Coach. They were a lot of fun to do. The Brian Evans one, we did that for the community. We'll probably we'll put it on the podcast sometime next week. You know, if you're not in the community, but I agree, come join that community because there is so much good stuff going on there. It's it's so much fun in that community right now. And speaking of which, uh, one one of our key contributors, Aaron Schifron, has the next question, uh, and I think he's driving down to North Carolina right now, but. He says, yeah. since I'm heading to the College Cup for IU soccer, what specific things does IU basketball have to do to get to the level of IU soccer, which is a consistent winner, a consistent threat to make the Final Four, uh, like both programs used to be? Brent, I'm going to send this to you. What do you think are a couple of things that Indiana basketball needs to do to be at the top of the Big Ten consistently and make deep runs in the tournament? Well, it's kind of it was in the question, but I think we just need consistent play. Like we saw flashes during Archer's tenure of his teams being good. 
I mean, beating Michigan State twice, you know, like having having some some good wins, but then we would go lose to one of the worst teams in the Big Ten, right? We need to have, have consistency where it is absolutely shocking when we lose a game. Like, I want that. I want it to be shocking when we lose a game instead of it being – and so that starts with the new, with the new era, right? Clean slate. Let's start. Let's start being. Let's beat Purdue, right? It's about <laughs> dang time to beat Purdue. And and when we start doing those little things, then we can start talking about a Final Four. But that's why when we we had a conversation about my first year Mike Woodson expectations, and I think it needs to be just let, let's get to the tournament, right? Let's let's take that first step, and then and then in year three or four we can start talking about a Final Four, right? When we start showing that consistency on the court. But consistency is my main thing, honestly. Jared, what do we have to do to get back to uh, that consistent Final Four contender? I mean, I think Brent summed it up pretty well. You've got to have a culture where the expectation is to win and where it's it, where it's, it's kind of shocking when you lose. You know, I spent in that Brian Evans interview, we spent a lot of time talking about the 93 season, you know, and kind of the last time Indiana basketball was really the epicenter of college basketball. And that's what it felt like. It's like, wait, we lost? You know, it was, it was like it was this disappointment when you lose, even if you go on the road, you know, against a good team, you still expect to win. And that's what Indiana soccer has. You know, they've they've have that culture built and it's not going to happen overnight. But we have the foundation, you know, just like Todd Yegley came in. He had the foundation from what his dad did. You know, Mike Woodson has the foundation now from what, you know, Coach Knight did and what Branch McCracken did before him. And now it's just rebuilding it to that expectation, both with the players. And then when you start winning on the court, the fans get it, too. And it just becomes and I think that's kind of what Dane Fife was alluding to a little bit with some of his comments. You know, we got to get back to that expectation. So that's that's the big difference right now. And it's only going to come with, you know, a coach having a vision. I mean, shoot, an athletic director having a vision for what the program should be. The coach, the coach is carrying it out, recruiting the right guys winning consistently, and then everybody gets on board going in the same direction. Um, the next question I think is really interesting with all the transfer portal and, and recent news of, of Jerome leaving um, from Sally Henderson. Um, how do you think the portal will affect high school commitments since high school kids now have to compete against experienced players that are that might pop into the transfer portal? Do you think that high school – players will commit sooner to ensure they get the school that they want. Right now it seems uh, they let colleges woo them for a couple years. Uh, will the schools still want them, or will they just use the, the portal um, for um, you know their recruiting? Um, Jared, we'll throw it to you. Um, is this going to change high school recruiting, this new one-time transfer rule? I think it will for sure. I mean, I don't know exactly how it will yet. You know, we kind of need to see it see it play out but yeah it's going to really change things because now you know instead of coaches looking first to the next recruiting class for how they fill a need in next year's roster they're going to first look to the transfer portal because those guys have played before and you have tape of those guys playing in a real college game so yeah i think you know i think it's going to be different it remains to be seen exactly how different it is um you know but i also wonder if you know, and and the, the the change of the NIL rules could are going to change things too. So, I mean, I think there's so much that's going to happen over the next year or two that kind of trying to project right now. There's just a lot of uncertainty, and I think we need to see some cycles play out. We need to see if they end up putting, you know, some kind of date on the transfer portal. You know, where there's a window where guys have to transfer, a window where they have to commit by. I just think there's a lot up in the air, and so to say with any level of certainty how it's going to go, I don't really know. 
But I do think a lot of things are going to change. And I think the schools that are really going to succeed are the ones that can kind of figure that out, see it a little bit ahead of time and kind of play that to their advantage. Um, Brent, I'm going to throw you this question. Make sure you don't use any, any names here. Cause you'll, you'll understand when I, I ask you the question, but you're, you're a mid-major school. Um, sometimes, uh, schools before the transfer portal were interested in players that played well, uh, at, at your mid-major. How are you feeling about what the transfer portal is going to do for, uh, you know, Missouri Valley's a high mid-major, but, um, bigger schools coming in and taking the talent that is, uh, groomed by, by schools like Indiana state. I hate it. If you want, if you want me to be honest, I, I don't like the transfer rule at all. I think, I think, I don't mind it for coaching changes because you go there to play for a coach, right? And then your coach all, all, all of a sudden isn't there. I get, I get it from that standpoint. But from from a mid major standpoint, I mean, you you aren't getting looked at at a high school, right? And then you go and you just go off at a mid major, and then Big Ten, ACC, SEC can just call, and then all of a sudden your mid major screwed. Right. Like I, I just I'm not a big fan of it. And I, I think it I think this rule will definitely it, I think it'll favor high majors and mid majors will struggle because I think they'll have some really good, good talent be stripped away from. And, and talent can head yeah, back can I, that can way. Can I play devil's advocate? Can I play yeah. devil's advocate on yes. that real quick? Number yes. one, Brent, I love the firmness of your opinion. I hate <laughs> it. It's awesome. But to, to play devil's advocate on that, because the flip mm-hmm. side of it is there are also going to be guys from high major schools transferring and needing spots like Jerome Hunter now. You know, yes. he he might land at Indiana State, you know, or, mm-hmm. or some of these guys that were, you know, four-star guys, they go and get lost in the shuffle, come down. Now, they're not in the system, so you don't have the same continuity but you don't you think you will see some of that too? Yes, and and to to your point, you know, Indiana State now has a new staff because Coach Lansing is no longer there, and they just got a commit from Oregon State who made a good run. Mm. Um, and so I, I understand that point too, and and you make a good point with that too. You know, from a coaching standpoint, if I'm a coach at a mid major and I invest a, a couple years in building relationship recruiting, and I build a, help build a guy freshman year, fifteen points, sophomore year, seventeen points, and he goes. Yeah, I can replace him coming back the other way, but uh, boy, that's that's tough when you worked all the all those years uh, from a coaching perspective and getting that kid to your to your mid major program, and and then it, it popped. You're happy for the kid in in some ways. You're really happy for the kid if you have a good relationship. You're happy to see him uh, move on. Um, you, you know, know you know what we may see though is. I think it could lead to maybe fewer March Madness upsets and fewer deep runs by mid-major teams, because what usually helps those teams is having those guys that stick around and develop, and then you've got the continuity of a team of juniors and seniors that have played together. It's not, you know, you might be able to replace the talent and maybe even a kind of a more, you know, talented guy based on his recruiting rankings, but clearly something has kind of gone wrong with him at the school he was at, and you don't have the chemistry. So I don't, in that way, it's probably not a one-to-one comparison. And 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 I like I like that too because like that one thing I really respect out of mid major programs. I know I'm a little biased having been a part of one, but is that they are junior senior led teams. Like they they go and th- those coaches develop their players to be four year guys. You know, there's no one and dones or you know two year two years and out. And now I feel like we're going to see a lot more of that because of this new transfer portal and it's like all that time building building your program up and you have to build a program at the mid-major level to win you can't just have have a bunch of five stars that are going to leave after one year and then get more five stars 
because you can't do that at a Missouri Valley or a mid-major. So I think it, it'll hurt some of that development that a coach does too. Um, Jared, I'll throw this one to you. Uh, I should know this, but I, I don't. Uh, as What are the time limitations on Coach Woodson and his crew to work with and, and teach the team individual players during the off season? I, I think there's uh, so many hours in the, that you can combine weight room and on court. Um, Brent, you might know that. Um, do you know that? I should know that, but I don't. That's Terrence uh, Harper asked that question about the time. Do you know, Brent, the actual hours? Oh, Jared? Uh, well, there's it's there's so many crazy rules, to be honest with you. Like there's a certain year where you – or a certain point of the year where you can only have two hours on the court and four hours in the weight room, but then a certain yeah. part where you have four hours on it. Like, so I don't know the time – like what part of the year. But I know that the rule did get changed when I was in college, I think – in the off season, when I was a freshman, we only had like two hours a week on the court, and it got bumped up to four hours in the off season. I and I think I think that goes for everybody is four hours on the court, but that doesn't count weights. That's just pure on the court skill work, teamwork, whatever a coach wants to do. Is I think it's four hours a week. Yeah, and I think there are also limitations on how many players can be together at one time, right, during the offseason. Yeah, I don't know when that changes, but just like you can have four players mm -hmm. doing skill work for a certain amount of time. And obviously the players can go like, you know, play pickup on their own whenever they want to. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's some some combination like that. Uh, Phil asks, uh, how soon before the replacement for Jerome is announced? Um, unless he violated the team rule, he uh, Phil thinks that uh, IU already has someone in, in mind. Jared, have you heard anything about uh, – I, I know there's a lot of comments on Twitter about hearing that IU is still actively recruiting the in the transfer portal. I don't know if that was because of this potential decision or they were just were being active in case something uh, happened. Have you heard uh, anything that, that, that you can share? I think we should assume that all colleges are active recruiting at all times now, and it's kind of negligent if you're not, you know, and it may not always, it's not going to be the head coach always in there, but there is going to be a staff member at every school that is tracking the transfer portal every day. Like you just, you have to now, you know, and kind of putting feelers out and seeing, Hey, this kid is in here. You know, do we kind of have a shot? So I, I haven't heard anything specific. You know, I think there's, there's some big guy from a small school that's transferring, I think, you know, that people have talked about and, you know, a few other guys, but I haven't heard anything specific, but I also haven't really paid a lot of attention to it for the last couple of weeks. You know, we got that flurry of news, then the roster was kind of settled and, you know, I kind of checked out of tracking that stuff every single day. Um, you know, now that we have a scholarship open, I suppose, uh, you know, it's time to start paying a little bit more attention. Um, but I haven't heard anybody specific. I think it makes sense to you're, – you're active to see who's there in case something happens. So when something happens, you're not starting from scratch. So obviously Indiana has been working and knows that if, if we have a scholarship available, these are the next few guys. And I don't know what the rules are about contacting guys if you're full scholarships or whatever. But they've done their work. Uh, um, the, the question is whether they're going to fill it. And they can be very picky right now. Uh, on, on who they fill it with and, it, and to have the right person. And it's probably going to have to be a rotation person. But when you add someone, then that, you know, then that puts that pressure back that you mentioned about the uh, playing time um, and those things. Yeah. I cannot see them getting someone for next season. That isn't an obvious rotation guy, right. you know, because you've already, again, you, you kind of release the pressure valve a little bit with Jerome being gone. But then and it's, it would either be a guy who's clearly a rotation guy right now, like step right in and either a starter or, you know, a sixth or seventh man or a developmental guy who probably isn't going to play at all. 
Like, I think it's going to be one of those two extremes. You don't need anybody. Like, you've got Jordan Geronimo, Anthony Leal, Trey Galloway, like all of these guys that are kind of in between developmental and ready to play, you know? And so you want to get them minutes if you can. So you're not going to get anybody else at their level. You've already got those guys. And they're good, talented players, so you don't need another one. All right, Brent, uh, this one goes to you from Joel. Should we start planning the first tailgate menu? Absolutely. (laughs) I am ready for it. You know, IU football, great season, but it stunk having to watch every home game from our home. I'm tired of it. I'm ready to get out and see all of our Hoosier friends. Right, so I think it. I think it's time to start planning right now. Well, yeah, and the, the news keeps getting better. I mean, yep. it really seems like we're going to have full full stands for football and basketball based on how everything's going. So, uh, Brent and I are heading to Iowa for the first game on the road. Uh, we're going to meet up with uh, Kathy and her husband uh, and uh, Jay and um, Galen. I believe are going out there. So um, we've got hotel rooms. So we're going to plan that one, and then I am going to get together with uh, Richie and Joel. Uh, and talk about uh, menus and and things to make sure that uh, all the assembly call followers who stop by feel welcomed and and wanted and and we're we're ready to host you. So uh, a lot of that is already being planned. Jared, our last question. I'm going to go come back to the first segment because uh, uh, to get your opinion. That about three or four hours before we went on the on the show, the Big Ten uh, released its opponents uh, for the teams uh, in the Big Ten. We we uh, talked about it a little bit and mentioned to our listeners that we'd probably do a deeper dive um, uh, on that in in a show to come up uh, in the future. Now that we know those opponents, but we found out who Indiana's playing in their double games and uh, they're away in their home only. Uh, have you had a chance to digest that and your initial thoughts on on the opponents for Indiana next year? Well, my initial thoughts were I'm happy that we only have to play Michigan once because I think Michigan is going to be the most talented team in the conference. Uh, always good to only play Michigan State once. You know, you're never going to go wrong doing that. Y- you know, stinks to only play Iowa once because feels like we gotta have their number. So I'd like to keep playing Iowa, but who knows? You know, that could change. We got a new we got a new coaching staff now, so maybe some of those old paradigms from the last four years are no longer true. Um, you know, I don't know. It seems pretty fair. You know, you only play Northwestern once, uh, you know, but then, and, and, you know, I think like a team like Nebraska is interesting because I think they could actually be a lot better than we've, than they've been the past few years. They've got a little more talent, you know, another year in Fred Hoiberg's system. You know, so you kind of look at that sometimes and it's like, oh, good. We get to play them twice. Well, that may not be as, as good as it has seemed. So I don't know. Overall, it looks pretty fair to me. You know, if there were one team, I guess if I if I had to pick two programs that I would only want to play once, you know, Michigan and Michigan State are probably two of the top three. Uh, Purdue's the other one, but we know we're going to play them twice. So I guess all in all, it looks fine now, but who knows? <laughs> you know, we'll have to see how good these teams actually are once you get there. Th- things are looking up uh, in Bloomington these days. That's it. We're done. No more questions. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of The Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Special thanks to Bob Thompson for producing a lot of the music that you hear on the show and some yet to come tonight. And thank you for listening. We will talk to you again next week or sooner if any news breaks. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim and go Hoosiers. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. You might get beat today, but each day you got to get better. 
That's right, Coach Woodson. Absolutely. All right, Coach, guys. do you not have any of the do you not have any of the elbows in drops? I do, uh, but I it's on the it's on the sheet here. I just started reading it. <laughs> I even have one ready to go. <laughs> I, I think here. Take it from me, Nick's eyes loft. Keep your elbows in and your eyes. It was on the cued, rim. but uh, and but, as always, go Hoosiers. I I did that. What's the Stay classy, San Diego. I just kind of read the script, and next thing I know, yeah. I was supposed to hit the. Hit By the, the way, I got there. I got Brian Evans to say it at the end. So now we have nice. a, we'll, we'll have a Brian Evans one, which nice. will be nice. Very good. Take it from me, Coach Tomsoni, sidekick. Keep your elbows in, your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. <laughs> Richie, Richie was stirring stuff up on Twitter earlier today. Richie's always stirring stuff up, man. <laughs> He is always stirring stuff up. All right, All right, so there you go. AC After Dark special music. And it special is time. AC After Dark. Yes, it is time for AC After Dark. You know, I feel a little bad playing this music without Ryan and Andy here. I feel like they should be here, but they're not here. And this music came in today from the great Bob Thompson. And he was so this was supposed to come in. He was going to get it to us last week or even the week before, you know, when he was going to be on the show. It wasn't able to. And then his computer crashed. So he said he had to basically redo the whole thing, but he emailed me today. And there was this really excited email. He was like, I think this is the best you know, thing that I've ever sent you. Uh, you know, I really hope that you like it on and on. And so I'm kind of thinking, all right, we'll see, because you've sent some good stuff. How good could this be? And I was literally crying laughing when I was, <laughs> when I was listening to this. It's, it was so good. So, and he was like, you know, and he basically said, I know it's a little bit longer than normal, but it's AC after dark. So what the hell? Let's make the song a little bit longer. So here we go. The debut, the world debut of the new AC after dark theme music. Here we go. When the show is over, but there's more to be said. Pour yourself a drink now Put the kitties to bed It's time to cut loose No more censored remarks So cozy up chat mob It's time for AC After Dark I think I kissed a lot of girls. I think I might even kiss a lot of guys. I don't know. These are all rumors. I don't know what's true and what's not. Turn your butt cheeks on. Family call co-host, the Randy. So there it is. <laughs> the AC After Dark Jingle from Bob Thompson. Just... Tremendous work and really great singing. Bob's a good singer. He is you awesome. Know? And I I remain impressed by how he can just slip in and out of different genres of music and make it all sound really good. What a talent. Yeah. My my agent is getting all of this, you know, paid by the drop, baby. <laughs> That's I'm, my next contract. <laughs> uh, man. Oh boy. I'm just glad I don't have anybody catching drops of me because I didn't have any. He's like, send me over a bunch of drops of, you know, like the just kind of the, the craziest drops that you have. That's what I was so. worried about. I didn't want to get a crazy drop myself on this show. I was, oh, you I was got a couple. Go. Oh, well, Does yeah. he? Yeah. Gonna have to go back? Am I going to have to go back and listen to this and pull something out? The, the slurping one. 
Um, and then I think it stinks or whatever you said. You just like father, like son, man. You just stated your comment. You just it was pretty good. <laughs> I hate it. I think I said I hate it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. Um, so by the way, so I had something cool happen to me earlier today. Uh, so I've been kind of going like for the last couple of weeks, I've been kind of going down this rabbit hole of trying to learn more about some of these new technologies that are going to be impacting our world and are kind of slowly, but surely starting to make their way into sports discussion. Uh, you know, blockchain, NFTs, cryptocurrency, all this stuff that to me has just sounded like these foreign concepts that I have no real idea what they are. You know, and then things like NBA Top Shot have come out and and different things are starting to come out that are kind of bringing some of this stuff into the mainstream. And so I've been trying to learn it for myself. And we've been talking about it some over at this other project that that I'm a part of called Unemployable. We work with freelancers and solopreneurs, you know, help them build their small businesses. And so I was listening to a podcast. It's called Unchained. And if you're interested uh, in any in kind of learning more about this stuff, Unchained is a really good podcast. And Mark Cuban was on it. I was like, oh, okay, let me listen to this. I like Mark Cuban. And so they, you know, they're talking about all this stuff and get to the very end. And he starts describing these use cases for NFTs. And I'm not going to go into them because, you know, I don't know how many of you are really well versed in this stuff. And I don't know it well enough to explain it. Um, So I I don't even want to try to explain it yet. But suffice it to say, like I listened to him and I was like, aha, like, okay, I get it now. I get it a little more for how this stuff would work. And it got me thinking, you know, okay, you got this NBA Top Shot thing over here. You know, the conversations that I had with Jeremy Gray and and Andrew Brown about, you know, what they're doing with players. You know, why why couldn't Indiana start doing some of this stuff? You know, issuing NFTs for players and doing some different stuff. And I thought, you know, I've always wanted to get Mark Cuban on the podcast, but I'd never quite known like what pitch to give him to come on the podcast. And I thought, okay, this would be interesting. You know, two things that he loves, Indiana and NFTs, which like he's huge into this. He's been investing in a bunch of companies uh, that are into this stuff. And so I kind of looked online. I was like, hey, how do you you know, email Mark Cuban? And there was actually like an article that he did. It was like an interview that he did literally like five days ago talking about how to get in touch with him if you want to, because he actually like looks at all of his email and will reply to email or delete it. You know, he's basically like, hey, you got to get straight to the point. It's got to be a subject line that catches my eye. And if it's interesting, then, you know, I'll reply and we'll go over it. So I was like, okay, I need to I need to do this. So kind of thought about it for a while and, you know, crafted this really good subject line of, you know, how can I use NFTs to get these two topics that he's a big fan of? And then basically send him this pitch of my thoughts on, you know, how Indiana might be able to use this stuff. And do you want to come on the podcast to talk about it? Be a good chance to, you know, introduce IU fans to some of these concepts, yada, yada. Of course, not thinking that he would reply back. And so like two hours later, boom, I get a reply back. And it was a long reply. I mean, we're talking like six, seven paragraphs of him just spitballing ideas for how Indiana could use NFTs and how they could basically take advantage of the new NIL rules and use some of this stuff and just, you know, brilliant stuff. Like you can tell just reading his email, how fast his mind works, you know, and he's just like firing off all these ideas. I'm like, Whoa. Okay. So I like try to read it and then try to craft like a, you know, now he did say, or no, he actually, he didn't mention the me asking him to come on the podcast. So I, you know, replied back to him and, you know, tried to kind of sound smart and ask a couple of good questions in there. And like five minutes later, he replied back with more ideas. (laughs) I'm just like, 
you know, this is incredible. And so then I kind of tried to slip the podcast, you know, request back in there. Like, Hey, man, I think this would be really cool if we like had this discussion on a podcast, cause this is really fascinating stuff. So finally, you know, in the next reply, he addresses that. He's like, look, I don't have time to come and talk about it on the podcast right now, but you know, what you need is someone who can green light this in the athletic department. And I was like, well, shoot, don't worry. I'm going to take these ideas to them. You know, I'll send them to Scott Dolson. I'll send them to Jeremy Gray, you know, so they read them. But we kind of go back and forth with some more ideas. You know, I sent him another email today about it. He replied right back. It's, you know, and it's incredible because obviously he's a busy guy. He's got all this stuff going on. But it it seemed to me just from like from this email conversation that he just he kind of loves just kicking ideas around. You know, like ideas that are interesting to him. And I think that's why he checks his email because an idea will come up and he loves to just kind of go through the ideas and kind of go back and forth. And so it was it was really cool. Unfortunately, didn't get him to come on the podcast. Hopefully that'll happen in the future. He's obviously done the Hoosier Hysterics podcast. Um, so hopefully we'll get him on in the future. But it was just cool to send an email like that, get a reply and then actually have a dialogue back and forth. Uh, and I did. I actually, you know, I did obviously send that to uh you know, to the athletic department and they are, this is actually something they're working on, which I think is really smart because as much as we all may want to kind of resist, you know, NFTs and what is this stuff? And it makes my head hurt to figure out how there's actually, you know, economic value there. Well, there is. And I think it's something that there are going to be some forward kind of thinking schools that are going to take advantage of this and, you know, issue these NFTs and sell them when the players are in college or basically transfer the ownership of them to the players once they graduate so they can sell them and do whatever. And we're going to want to be on the forefront of it. So the fact that Indiana is already looking at it, uh, I think is a really good thing. Um, and, you know, it can't hurt to have Mark Cuban on your side <laughs> when you're when you're going through this because he's basically investing in all the biggest companies. So that, that, that was my, that was my cool. very brief really cool. brush with greatness today. That's just cool. For, if way, I turn into... If I turn into a Mavs playoff game and you're sitting baseline with Mark Cuban, uh, you know, I'm going to be really jealous. Uh, you guys will be kicking around the, the ideas there courtside. During- <laughs> if an email exchange leads to that, that would be that would be wonderful. No, hopefully we just it'd be great to get him on the podcast sometime. But yeah, yeah it was uh, it was cool. So anyway, if you have a really cool idea for Mark Cuban, he Man, will reply if it's I, interesting. I, and I if you, you make him think I spent time on that NBA top shot, it just blew my mind. Uh, and I don't know that I still get it, um, but it, it's 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 so interesting and fascinating that there, that there's a demand for that um, at the prices that that are being thrown around. Um, it's, I mean, the thing is, like, we're just we're 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 on the cusp of entering kind of a new paradigm, and I think for a lot of younger people, it makes more sense because they already value digital assets much more than we do. Like there's already a massive ecosystem for this stuff inside of video games where people pay real money for stuff that's just a digital, like a weapon or clothing or whatever. Like these, it's just digital, but people pay for that and there's huge money on it. And so as that generation gets older, kind of like, you know, those of us who grew up with the internet, you know, like I, like my generation, people my age are basically the last ones that can kind of remember the time before the internet, you know, kind of took over. But like, you know, my brother, who's you know nine years younger than me, he just he's an Internet native. Like, that's just kind of what he knows. And so I think as the new generation grows up, valuing digital assets as much as real assets is just kind of a normal thing. And that's just one of the things that's kind of made possible by blockchain and this technology. 
but it is it's 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 one of those things that is worth reading about and brushing up on because it really it's like a lot of people are saying basically that like this technology blockchain especially and everything that it enables is going to be more transformative than the internet was so think about how transformative the internet has going to has been and this is like the next step because of what it makes possible you're not going to see it all in a year or two it's you know maybe five ten years down the road before it's kind of everywhere but nfts are kind of like the first thing that normal people are seeing because like the nba top shot it's like it doesn't totally make sense but it kind of does because we all traded cards growing up and this is just the digital equivalent so it gets you interested it gets you looking at it and it's like it's like the gateway drug to learning about the whole world that's there and you start learning about it and it's like wow this stuff is actually pretty fascinating it's it's it makes your mind hurt but it is actually it pretty does. fascinating the prices stuff. that i saw these digital items going for were shocking um yeah but man so I'm old. I have, as, as I told you, coach, just kind of to practice and screw around, I am in the process of creating the first assembly call NFT, which is the video of, it's the original, uh, I don't like carrots video. Nice. So it's like a, it's like a minute and 30 video of that drop. And eventually I'll have it. And, and really, I'm just doing it for fun and to kind of mm-hmm. learn how it all works. But someone will be able to buy and they will own the rights to the coach Tonsoni, I don't like carrots drop <laughs> the digital, the digital version of it. So whenever I actually get that done, I'll put it out and everybody can just kind of see what it looks like and what it is. The resale but, value of that's going to be interesting on the secondary market. Right? Okay. So, okay. So you say that. So here's the interesting application of blockchain. Cause one of the things that blockchain makes possible is something called smart contracts. So when you have these NFTs, right? So I set this NFT up and let's say that we, we make it, we say that it costs $10. So someone can come on here. It wouldn't be dollars. You actually, you would, you'd pay in, in some kind of cryptocurrency, probably uh, Ether, which is a cryptocurrency for Ethereum. So someone, someone pays that money, right? Well, we can build into the contract, into this smart contract that, you know, let's say that, let's say Joel buys it, right? And so Joel gets it and he's like, oh, this is cool, you know, to own this thing. But then he decides to sell it to Richie for 15 bucks. We can define a royalty that goes to you. So within that, there could be a royalty of like two bucks. Every time this thing gets sold, coach gets a royalty of $2 and it's all built into this smart contract. So, and that's one of the things that Mark Cuban was talking about with a lot of sports teams are probably going to move to this because the example he gave is, you know, when, when the Mavericks have home games, right? They want their fans to be at the games. They don't want their fans, you know, selling the tickets to say Golden State Warriors fans. But a lot of fans will do that because, you know, it's like, hey, if I sell this to a Warriors fan, this can like pay for my entire season ticket, right? Well, if they sell tickets as NFTs, they can build into the contract that 75% of the sale price goes back to the Mavericks, not to the person selling it, to disincentivize them from selling it to Warriors fans to keep, to make sure that more Mavericks fans are in the stands. So all kinds of stuff. And, you you know, he was talking about from an insurance perspective, you could build in, like, if you know that attendance goes way down if it's snowing. Well, you can build a, basically a smart contract in there that if the temperature is below 32 and there's a certain level of precipitation, like you know that it's snowing out. And so it triggers insurance. Like you basically buy insurance and it triggers the insurance claim if all of these weather conditions are met because there's a probability from the past that you probably that the Mavericks probably made less money. I know it's crazy, but it's going to make all of these things, all of these things possible. 
I'm with Tyler, it's, it's, man. That that hurts just thinking about it. I know. It did. I mean, it did for me too. All I would say is I felt the same way about this stuff and I kind of forced myself to learn it because I had to. And it's it's really interesting. I promise. It is it's it's really interesting. And it's good to know because it's not it's not really theoretical anymore if it's gonna happen. Like it's coming. And seeing NFTs kind of break into the mainstream is the first kind of like thing that's bubbling above the surface. But we're still kind of in the early adopter phase right now. But I think that will quickly start to move forward, especially as Bitcoin now becomes something that major banks are buying and people are talking about as a potential reserve currency of the world. Like things are things are changing. They're just changing fast. So that's why, you know, but listening to Mark Cuban talk about it, he kind of put it in these terms, in these kind of sports terms where I was like, okay, I, I, now I kind of get how that all works. So anyway, if you're interested in it, you know, I can give you the link to that, uh, to that podcast, but it's, uh, cool. yeah, it's fun stuff. It's interesting. So let's see how much money we can make from the coach Tonsoni NFT. Let's, (laughs) let's, let's get the market for that thing going. Yeah. There's a huge market. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) Oh man. Moose will buy it though. The the podcast is called unchained. It's by Laura Shin. She's, she's really good. Yep. So go back and forth. Moose, Richie back to moose. Sounds good. <laughs> hey, you'll get a you'll get a cut every time it happens. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, How's the family doing? All right. Family's good. Everybody's asleep. So hey, I almost I was looking to do a coach's corner. Um, and I had a busy week, didn't get one out this week, but I was looking for Jared Morris high school basketball film. And I found a West Lafayette 1999 or 19, uh, it was November of 1999. And Jared graduated uh, in the spring of 99. So it wasn't his, his senior year. I thought maybe I had his senior year of playing high school basketball. And I was so going to cut that up and evaluate uh, Jared Morris high school. And, and I still may ask Coach Wood if he's got any, any tape or anything uh, from <laughs> – I need to ask my my mom recorded a bunch of games. I might see if she has some of them still. You know, I, I oh did God, that. Be, I have a, funny. I only have like two or three on VHS, so I can't. You know, obviously they're not around. The players aren't around anymore. But I did that once I started coaching. I went back and evaluated my performance. Now that I could see <laughs> things as a coach and how we evaluated, you know, plays and everything, and and I, yeah, it, it was all right. I, I did a lot more than I, I thought I would, but there were a few moments like if I was coaching myself, <laughs> I, I, I'd be unhappy right now. It was, yeah. it was a weird, weird experiment. It's kind of like watching Brent play, you know. I, I'd always I'm i a better basketball player now than I ever was in high school. My high school coach just told me that because I hopped in our open gym the other day, and he's like, would have been nice if you could have hit some of those shots when you were a player for me yeah. instead of and, my JV coach. <laughs> and Brent, Brent is the pop the collar son. So he's the one who got pulled out of a, a fifth grade basketball uh, game because uh, he was which was Coach Lew- which was Coach Lewis's fault. <laughs> who now you're an assistant for? It was all his fault. It was not my fault. He makes a shot and just starts going down the court like this, not playing defense. <laughs> so hey, a wise coach said it's all about shooting. But thanks, uh, Jared, for the opportunity to have my uh, boys on on here. They were. Um, uh, they did a great job, uh, and, and hopefully our, they would. our chat mobs got something out of it. Um, 
from a discussion uh, as off season goes. We we need to find some some different people and different takes. So um, I appreciate the opportunity. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was fun. This is really fun. Have to get you guys on again, Brent. Oh, absolutely. I I enjoyed it. I always love talking about the Hoosiers. The Times, a daily news podcast from the Los Angeles Times, gives you the world through the eyes of the West Coast. New episodes of The Times are available every weekday. To find it, go wherever you get your podcasts and search for The Times. Daily news from the LA Times. At California's Great America, it's never too early to start thinking about next year's fun. That's why we're offering the lowest price of the year on a 2022 Gold Pass right now. That includes unlimited visits this year, so you can enjoy the Great Pumpkin Fest, Haunt, and Winterfest. Then unlimited visits next year to try new foods, enjoy festivals like Taste of Orleans, scream on our world-class coasters, and splash away at South Bay Shores Water Park, all for just $82 plus applicable taxes and fees. Hurry, offer ends October 31st, so get your Gold Pass now at cagreatamerica.com. It's amazing in here.